and welcome to another episode of Sounds from the 70s with Gary and Rob. Coming to you from the, are you sure this isn't the Overlook Hotel, Winchester Building in the downtown metropolis area of the Satai. Uh, this episode, we are starting Rob. See, I always do that. I shouldn't do that because it looks like I'm accusing you. Yeah, and I but get I'm the not. overwhelming urge to say, Shuggy. <laughs> <laughs> this episode, we are starting our three-part look into the hard rock heavy metal scene of the early 1970s. And very apt that we start with one of the titans of 70s heavy metal, Deep Purple, part of the triumvirate, I guess, as you would, uh, people would call uh, Deep Purple and Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin. They're uh, part of that the triumvirate. holy trinity of heavy metal. Yeah. Although some people would say that I'm kind of included in that, that Led Zeppelin wasn't heavy metal, but they had heavy metal tendencies, so I don't know. Either way, it it, it works for me. If you don't call one, if you want to call them more hard rock than heavy metal, uh, that's fine too, but I... They inspired a lot of people to get heavier. Oh, fatter? I think so, because <laughs> look at where we've gone and uh, where we are. <laughs> 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 Look at the people making making heavy metal. Oh, it's it so not fat. my fault. I can't fit into my pants. <laughs> I love Led Zeppelin. Okay, <laughs> okay, okay. So uh, we're going to uh, talk about Deep Purple's 1970 album in rock. Um, in future episodes, we will be looking at hard rock slash heavy metal in the mid 70s and then we'll have a three-part special about the late 70s but we're going to do that many years from now <laughs> yeah that's, that's a ways away there's a lot of stuff to cover before it we took us there. it took us almost three years just to get to the heavy metal category <laughs> now we're here <laughs> by the way no i won't even bring that up. okay i real real quick we're almost done with the generalizations of all the categories then we have to go into the sub-generations sub of the subcategories yeah. We do, yeah. As involves going underwater. Oh, man. <laughs> we got a long one. Deep dead monkey. So uh, now before we start, we have to give a little State of the Union address about what is happening here on Sounds from the 70s. Uh, I'm not happy. First of all, I'm not happy with the mic because the mic got moved, and yeah. I'm not too sure this is where it's supposed to Uptown be. Uptown Mike. Yeah, our producer Uptown Mike moved the microphones for our he new He had me move them, and then moved them back badly. And then we had to move the, the microphones back after we were done the YouTube show jabbering, and yeah, So, these three episodes in our Hard Rock Heavy Metal theme will be our last episodes done at the infamous Winchester building. As our lease was not renewed, mainly, well, only, <laughs> only because of things we said on the show about Mr. Winchester, the owner and manager of the building. He doesn't listen to the show himself. He's got someone else listening and transcribing. Well, that's the point. He was displeased with the things we said and kind of didn't like the show in the first place Though I doubt he even listened to it. <laughs> you know, it might have been that episode, uh, uh, 30 or 40 episodes ago, when you, when you called him a bag licker. <laughs> that might have upset yeah, him a that bit. that was funny. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I find it funny. Why, why, why doesn't he find it funny? I guess, I guess that is uh, a good enough reason to not renew the lease. But uh, you gotta have a, you gotta have some sort of. Uh, Sense of humor to you. Yeah, but you, you realize with uh, with only a few shows left here before we we can now got free reign to say anything we want. So I thought we all we, we I thought we always did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess we did. I didn't really care what Mr. Winchester thought. So we will be moving to another location to tape. On top of that, Rob has to move from his residence to another. It's an exciting and time. Then maybe one month later. Exactly one month later, I may have to move, but unlike Rob, I don't know where we'll be going. But that's that's a maybe. Just, that's a here nor there. That's neither here nor there until it becomes there. Yeah, once it becomes <laughs> real. Yeah, but I may not. I don't know. At the time I wrote this script, it looks like I was, and now it's like up in the air. Like well, I don't know who going. knows what's going on. These are crazy times. Now, we are we are telling you, our faithful listeners, about this, because if we do happen to miss a show or two, 
which we didn't plan to do, then if that happens, you will know the reason why. There's there's a heck of a lot of chaos going on on Sounds from the 70s right now. Plus, we have our YouTube show that we're taping also. You know, we are taping... <laughs> this is crazy when you think about it. We're taping three Sounds from the 70s shows in seven days. And in one of those days off, the whole afternoon, we're taping a whole bunch of our YouTube show jabbering. So to say it's a busy week is uh, an understatement. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the week I got to move everything out and clean up. and uh, I don't think I'm going to get it all done. Yeah, Rob's got to move right after that, too. So uh, it's it's fun. It's You know what? It's, it's one of those times that you go, you can't buy fun like that. No, you, you can't. <laughs> By God, if I had seen myself 30 years ago uh, where I was today, I, I wouldn't have even bothered. No, you would have, you would have <laughs> said, this is too good to be true, yeah. you would have said. Too good to be saying, true. Screw this. So that's where I end up. <laughs> but I'm here. Nothing I can do about it now. And we're doing, and I'm doing what? A podcast? What the hell is that? <laughs> podcast. <laughs> that involves being on a boat and uh, catching fish. Uh, I don't want to do no fishing show. So, of course, it's time for odds and ends. Lost time There's is no not time found to again. Lose. Don't see. Don't don't even do anything. I don't want you to do anything because you ruin it. Yeah, I know. That was delivered. Okay, just uh, we have just another little tidbit for our listeners today. Our next theme, which will be in about four weeks after this theme runs and we take our week off and blah 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 and leave me alone, uh, will be. Our next theme will be a very special theme, which I have been planning since the beginning of the year, as it will be five episodes long, oy, oy, oy. which is unprecedented for this show. Yeah. And you will understand, once the theme starts, why it has to be five episodes long. And Rob has no idea. I don't tell Rob crap about what's going on. No, we don't even find out at rehearsals. No. I just say, well, you know what? Bags over our hands. Just, just talk about Ralph Harris and your <laughs> <laughs> So Rob has no idea what I'm talking about, but he likes to be surprised. He likes to say, oh, that's what we're doing today. I should have listened to that. It maintains spontaneity. <laughs> yeah. Spontaneity. But I'm telling you, I'm really excited about it because it is a genuine five-episode arc that needs to be done. So uh, Odyssey. It is an odyssey. And it was a well thought of Odyssey, but it wasn't mine. I actually read it. <laughs> I actually read it. I read it in a magazine, and I thought that'd be good to do on the show. So um, we're gonna go to today. We're actually ripping through this stuff pretty fast, a lot faster than I thought. Well, but then I always be... say that, and then the show ends up like an hour and twenty minutes long. <laughs> today on my top thirty songs of all time songs that I cannot live without and are masterpieces of sound to my ears and indispensable is the second part from last episode's traditional song choice, The Water is Wide. Well, I decided that I might as well do the other traditional song that I... Get them both out of the way. Get them... Well, that's not... uh, That's a terrible way of saying it. (laughs) But I thought, you know, it is better that, you know, since I did one, why not do the other one? And then uh, there you go. So today, the other traditional song is Shenandoah. Ooh, the crickets. (laughs) (laughs) Rob Rob hasn't heard the song. No, I've heard the the word before. Oh, you've heard the word. I've heard the word. Um... Now, Shenandoah is, uh, just let me get here. Oh, look, I have to get the tab open. Rob, what's, what's, what do you think about Shenandoah when you first heard it? I think of uh, a blimp, a Zeppelin. Uh... Shenandoah is a traditional American folk song of uncertain origin. We're going back all the way, Rob. All the way? To Zeppelin. <laughs> to the early 19th century. That's so, a little too far. That's the uh, 1800s. Yeah, there were cavemen running around back then riding dinosaurs. This song appears to have originated with American and Canadian voyageurs or fur traders traveling down the Missouri River in canoes and has developed several different... See, just like the water is wide, how these... Because these songs were recorded because there were no recording devices. People had to remember them 
and then say them and then sing them to whoever and then that would get translated to somebody else so there'd be different sets of lyrics depending on what part of north america or yeah. europe or wherever you were but i try and remember song lyrics by golly if i haven't read them i make them up that's what these people do some lyrics <laughs> refer to the oneida chief shenandoah and a canoe going trader who wants to marry his daughter by the mid 1800s versions of the song had become a sea shanty we all like sea shanties because they're oh, like yeah. oh how do you do it it makes you want to do a right? jig it does a it's jig that's sea- the only time i ever want to do a jig see, whenever i see the word sea shanty i do think of a jig i, <laughs> um, I think everyone does <laughs> so and those, those were sung of course by sailors from various parts of the world uh so actually it's uh it's not too often you find a traditional American folk song or North American folk song. Most of the traditional songs uh, stem from Europe and then they brought it over to North America, you know, as the new country was founded. But this was actually one that was uh, originated in North America. Originated as a story in North America. Pretty cool. You can't make stuff like that up. And of course, most of it. Uh, it's funny because it's it, it's a story that is pretty simple like and it's pretty non-dramatic when you when you talk about it in words it's like oh these voyageurs i love that word when these voyageurs in the fur trade area you know would go from from uh trading posts to trading posts and with their furs and everything and and then this this fur trader fell in love with the uh with the indian maiden of well, that's what she's called, so I'm not going to say anything else. Aboriginal maiden, if you want, if you want to be. I fortunate, still right? say Indian out of respect to all the Indians I know. You don't know any, <laughs> sir. I work construction. Oh, sorry about that. So, <laughs> so um, now you threw me off. Oh, anyway, yeah, the daughter. Oh, the Indian, the Indian maiden, the Aboriginal maiden, and basically he's just trying to tell uh, Shenandoah, the Indian chief, that he loves his daughter and want to marry her, uh, which is nice. It doesn't seem like the basis of of one of the greatest songs ever, but it actually is, because it's not. It's it's like so many songs. It's not what you're talking about. It's how you say it, what melody you use, what words you use to tell that story. It's not, it does sound like if, if I would have said to you, oh, Rob, I'm going to write a song, just like I just told you, you'd probably say, oh, okay, well, whatever, bring sure. it in, bring it in and we'll, we'll hear it and whatever. But, you in know, my, if I said, mind picture, it's, yeah, it's a song. in your mind picture, it's just an idea and it's like, whatever, it sounds like a lot of ideas to me as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, we yeah. come up with ideas daily. But if I would go to Rob and I'd bring my my acoustic guitar and I'd say, Rob, listen to this. I just wrote this. And then I would play Shenandoah to him. He'd go, holy shit. <laughs> I, I wrote that first. You stole it from me. Uh, he, he, you know, it just has a different perspective. Uh, music, uh, it's funny I'm going to say this because this is what we do, but music should never be described. <laughs> <laughs> says the guy who does who do lose that something in the description week. you kind of got to hear it to really know we do our yeah. best not to just dis- we try to describe the music but we never really try to describe the magic or the non-magic no i can only describe the things i like or the things that appeal to me or the emotions that right uh, that i feel when that's I'm exactly the point that's, that's- we're and we have said this a couple of times on the show we just try to enforce as much information about the album or song that we're talking about and not so much the quality of it, although we give our own version of the quality of it, but it's up to you to actually listen to it. We want you to, to decipher from what we say whether you would be a, 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 the kind of person who would be susceptible to listening to that record or not. And of course, if people don't like heavy metal and hard rock, they're not going to be too susceptible to the next three weeks, probably. But then there, maybe there's three weeks after that when we do another thing where they're going, man, those shows were killer because I, I understood what they were talking about. So, yes, I agree. You cannot explain music. 
but you can give information about the music. And that's all we're trying to do. We give information about the artist yeah. and we give information about the album that we're talking about. And in this case, I try and give information about songs and it's really difficult. As I say yeah. every week that I do this, because these are not just songs. These songs are gold to me. They're everything to me. They're my top 30 songs that I would want to listen to every day. And then to try and put that in words, I don't do it well yeah. every week because it can't be done every week. I just try my best to tell you how I feel when I listen to it. I can never tell how another person will feel listening to it. Rage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. some people will can... actually feel rage listening to some songs that yeah. other people yeah. think are magnificent pieces of art. <laughs> I know. That's actually the basis of heavy metal. <laughs> <laughs> so um, with Shenandoah, again, just like last week with The Water is Wide, there is no one version of Shenandoah that is like, oh, that's why I love it so much. I've heard many versions of Shenandoah. It, it, it's been covered literally, I don't know, 800, 900, 1,000 times. And some of the best versions I've heard of Shenandoah are actually just piano versions because it's such a beautiful melody. And just hearing it, and then you can hear the words because you don't, you know, it'll play the melody. So you can, you know what the words are and you're listening to it. Plus, it's such a great, song you can even make up different images in your mind when you hear it in an instrumental also is great with an orchestra it's a it's a song that fits almost anything that you do and it's really the, the unfortunate part about this doing this type of thing is that some of these songs rob has listened to so it's like i don't get much feedback because he's like that sounds interesting but i don't know no. <laughs> i can make hilarious quips but right. that's about it <laughs> um so what i will tell you is just some of the lyrics of it before we move on because it's traditional songs are very hard because like i said it's not about the magic of the performance it's really about the, the song itself. It's not about, oh, the orchestration, oh, yeah. this and that. So I can't talk about any of that because all the versions that I hear seem to have a magic quality to them, and that's because of the written song. You can um, uh, say what you know, but uh, you can't really express uh, how it makes you feel. It's important. And even as I look, even as I look at the lyrics, the lyrics are not astonishing. Like, The Water is Wide had pretty astonishing lyrics to me. But as I look at, and I was surprised, because as I look at the lyrics at Shenandoah, they're not amazingly profound or touching, but when they're put with the music, they are. Yeah. And so what I'm going to tell you, like... It amplifies the feeling, man. It amplifies the feeling. There's, there goes, oh, Shenandoah, I love your daughter, and hear your rolling river. For her, I'd cross your roaming waters. Way, we're bound away across the wide Missouri. Now, that's that's pretty simple stuff. It's nice, but it's, it's well written, simple. Well it's written. Well, and yeah. extremely well written, but not necessarily magical as far as on the paper. But up until right now, I didn't even know that it wasn't all that magical because it's every time I've heard it, it sounds it sounds like poetry of the highest accord to me. <laughs> You've only been uh, listening to it. No, I've no. only been listening to it. And and I'm telling you, even if I listen to it with the words right in front of me, because I do know the words, um, I would still say with the music, that is poetry <laughs> because you can make poet, you can make it sound so beautiful just by having the music along with it. And, um, yeah, I mean, there's not, I'm going to, I don't know if this really helps by giving uh, notable recordings of it by people, because there's 600 of them, <laughs> but uh, just a couple that got me. Uh, I remember I, one of the first times I heard it was Bob Dylan. A lot of people don't even like that version, but it just got me was Bob Dylan's version of it in the 80s. Uh, you had you've had Jerry Garcia cover it, Judy I'm, Garland. I'm picturing Joan Baez. Yes, I think so. Okay. I'm just looking for that. So Arlo Guthrie, of course. Um, 
Oh, there's so many versions. You know, all the usual... A lot of these people all the are usual folk people all, doing oh, just folk gonna, songs. I'm just going to say all the usual suspects in the folk era are doing it. The Kingston Trio. Um, Van Morrison did it with the Chieftains in his Irish in America album. Or on their Irish in America album. Um, yeah, there was a version I was looking for, which I can't seem to find. One of them is a Joan. I'm pretty sure Joan. Maybe Joan Baez didn't do it. Maybe I'm Maybe wrong. she said everyone else is doing that one. Forget it. That'll be original. Yeah. Anyways, it's uh, and there are many instrumental versions that are not listed here that are just any version of it is just is just uh, really necessary, I think, to listen to and uh, and to decide for yourself if if you like the song. I just I this is a, a song that. I'd like to listen to definitely on my last day on earth. So you got a couple of songs you'd like to listen to? And I said, play Shenandoah, please. And Shenandoah sounds so immaculate when done by a person just live. You know, just like in front of you, it's like, oh, my God. That's the way it should be listened to. But anyways, uh, when we continue with the top 30 songs, uh, there'll be moving into a more contemporary vein. There's songs with a little less cobwebs on them. Yeah, that's dust. a nice way to put it. Or maybe it wasn't a nice way to put it. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's one of those slick, underhanded, uh, veiled insults. You don't know. I, think I could sing them. Oh, Shannon. No, 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 no. You'll <laughs> give it away. Your daughter. No, stop it. <laughs> You're ruining it. It's too, too early for me to hate the song. <laughs> it could be a good song, but I'm hating it already. Every time I hear it, I picture Gary singing it. In his facetious manner. <laughs> so today's album we are going to review is one of the first heavy metal albums by one of the most legendary bands in the hard rock heavy metal field. Heavy metal field. Uh, and I, I, I did on purpose, as I said before, I think I said before earlier in the show, hard rock slash heavy metal. Yeah. Because uh, some people will say, that's, yeah, that's not, not heavy metal, metal, or some people will say for some other acts that will yeah, happen in the future, the that's modern. not hard. That's, that's more hard rock or whatever. You know what? We're combining them because they're so, there are so small distinctions between yeah. the two. Heavy metal came from somewhere, and uh, that's where it came from was the early 70s. Yeah, 1970 to be exact. Most people think with Black Sabbath first album, which I agree with. Most people will say, no, what about Led Zeppelin's first yeah, album? Well, and yeah. then you got the you conversation. Got Iron Butterfly, and then you got the well, yeah, Steppenwolf, where they had the Exactly. Spots, which, uh, you got you, but they and then you got the blue cheer. Oh, but blue cheer we have a metal. No, they were hard rock, and it's like, oh please, okay. Yeah, you just want to. Okay, let's fight. <laughs> let's go at it. <laughs> we'll decide which is heavy metal. Okay, where's by our my fists. knife? Where is it? <laughs> um, but let's just say that most people think that the heavy metal that we know of today was started with the Black Sabbath album released. January 1970 and so it started right at the beginning of 1970 we could even go back to the beginning of 1969 and say the Led Zeppelin album uh, although I really have a tough time calling any Led Zeppelin album heavy metal although there are heavy metal songs on there you know what I mean yeah 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 but I'm one of the I think one of the first albums after that released in June of 1970 was uh, Deep Purple and In Rock and I didn't know. Usually, I'm a big know-it-all who knows everything. <laughs> I didn't know after all these years why it was called in rock until this last week. It was called in rock. Um, I never really thought about it before. You know, no, you just see the, the album cover. Well, obviously, it has a they're in rock. Mount Rushmore. <laughs> there, they're yeah, in rock. Yeah, exactly. But actually, it was uh, Richie Blackmore's idea. Um, he was moving. The, I should get. A little bit more into the biography of the band before I start talking about the naming of the album, but I'll just tell you that they had just done an album of John Lord's composition, Concerto for Group and Orchestra, with the London Philharmonic. With the London Orchestra, I don't know if it's the film, maybe. Um, yeah, it could be. And um, he wanted to make sure that that what that they weren't known as a novelty band, so he wanted to know, like, listen, we're going to be a really rock and roll band from now on that's going to be our direction because we were 
kind of, we were kind of a psychedelic pop band for three albums. And then we did this uh, uh, orchestra album. We want people to know that this is, since the last one was called Concerto for Group and Orchestra, we're going to call it Deep Purple in Rock. And that's what we're going to be called. And that's that's what they're going to know about us from now on. I never thought about it. Very smart, though. Very smart. Yeah, I mean, I have to kind of know the timeline of the albums to really. Because exactly. I thought that album was uh, more 73 or 74, but no, that was uh, that's because, 60. But that's because you don't know your shit like I do. I had all my Deep Purple knowledge I got from uh, Johnny John John's 8-tracks. Uh, See, when you get it from somebody else and you don't you don't look it up, you don't look it up like you should. No. And do your homework, then you find yourself looking like an idiot on a show like You this. just try, try to find a date on this little cassette cover. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that must be accurate. That's it right there. Oh, it says, Reissue, reprint, said re, re, Yeah, it said reissue <laughs> 1983, so I guess 1983. That's when they did it. <laughs> <laughs> Why would they call it a reissue then? So well, they were being innovators. But Black Sabbath did start as Black Sabbath. Sorry. By the way, we're not doing Black Sabbath because we did a Black Sabbath album and we're not going to have the whole three weeks of just the titans of heavy metal and yeah. or hard rock because there we, were always more than like, just we always like to slip in a, a, a band that you may not listen to much. And that's what we're trying to do here. Plus, we have been criticized this year for not having a, a whole lot of prominent albums we have had since the beginning of the year i do admit we've had a lot of off-center yeah but you know, the, uh, the last four week uh, period that was kind of what it was supposed to be for so yeah and we didn't and even then we didn't really have uh we've been having some obscure albums and uh, not that we've been criticized but people have been wondering like is that where you're turning and it's like no we try to mix it up it just happens that way yeah. sometimes you have a lot of well-known albums and and then sometimes you have a lot of unknown albums. We'd like to have it actually together, but sometimes it doesn't work that way. It just doesn't. Um, so, but Deep Purple was an interest, very interesting band because they started, like I said, as a uh, blues, a, no, hard rock and blues. Yeah, blues. You know what? I'm not going to take that away from you. If you want to say that, I will not take it away from you. I hear the blues within. There was a little bit of a lot of a lot of kind of like harder pop in their first three albums. Also a lot of um, psychedelia, not the crazy psychedelia, but a lot of just experimenting. It, it sounds in their first three albums like a band trying to find its way, a band trying to find its what they really want to do, but don't know yet. That's exactly what their first three albums are. Now, I'm going to go back before I start the biography of the band. I'll tell you when I first heard Deep Purple, unlike Rob, <laughs> who heard it like thought they were 70s. When we had our first uh, FM rock station, like real 24-hour rock station, there were a couple of bands, and it was really freeform. And there was a, and this was in 1979, and there was a couple bands that they really played a lot. Um, one of them was Genesis. I learned, I absolutely knew almost nothing about Genesis until this FM rock station came about. And then they would play all these old Peter Gabriel songs, you know, in the middle of the day, <laughs> in the night, you know. And they, they, somebody really liked Genesis down there. And so I learned a lot about Genesis. And the other band was Deep Purple. And they, they played so, they played like Machine Head all the time. It seems like songs from Machine Head and Made in Japan. And it just seems like it was almost a, a Deep Purple Genesis uh, station with a whole lot of other music circling it around. So I got exposed to this very early, and then I bought Machine Head, and, you know, I liked it. And But actually, the second album I bought very early in my life, maybe 12, she's so young, 12 was actually their third album, which was self-titled called Deep Purple, which was before they went uh, hard rock. And it was, uh, it was a really nice album. I still have it in my collection. And the album that I bought that called Deep Purple, uh, I will say now, because I looked it up this week in the Discogs it website, exist. it looks exactly like it did when it was first released. So I give Deep Purple credit because you know how they take the... the uh, 
the gate folds out and everything. Yeah. It still had the gate fold when they re-released it in 1978. I looked when they re-released it. It was in 1978. That was the issue I bought. That was the one I bought. It had all. It even had the the, the sleeve that they had back in 1969 when it was released. And I liked the album. It wasn't really rock. It was very actually very soft. Um, that's why I say if you're, it wasn't bluesy. It was very, it was almost folky rock, almost in a, it was very pastoral. Okay, the only one I've uh, familiar with that uh, that particular period was the first one, uh, Shades of Deep. Shades Purple. of Deep. If you're th if you're if if you're thinking of Deep Purple that area, you think the hit singles, which are Hush and Kentucky Woman, and you know those those kind of and they did they did a lot of covers because they weren't really adept at at writing yet they didn't re, and they didn't know where they were going as far as musically was concerned so there was a lot of uh strange things going on as far as you know shades of deep purple could sound very different from the album I bought which was the self-titled one 2 years later so and the band originally had of course Ian Pace on drums one of the most underrated drummers in rock history just phenomenal but never gets mentioned as a as one of the great drummers but he is uh they started out with uh of course john lord who was basically the i don't know kind of the leader in a way it's hard to pick a leader uh but john lord was the keyboard player and he was the keyboard player for most of uh, for until he retired and then unfortunately died uh, a little while ago that he was you know always the keyboard player for deep purple almost all the time and then you had Richard Buck. uh of course the legendary and difficult <laughs> <laughs> Richie Blackmore um <laughs> a difficult man and strange from what I understand but uh I just in the late 70s when they used to play deep purple all the time on the radio I just adored Richie Blackmore. His licks were just like... His guitar playing, he's one of my favorite oh, guitarists. Man. I can like uh, yeah, hum most of his solos that I've heard. I know. <laughs> he just And he went from such uh, kind of a shy, mediocre guitar player on the first three albums to just yeah. starting with this album, just killing it for every album after that. And he is one of the... He is by far one of the best guitarists. I'm not even going to say heavy metal guitar. He's one of the best guitar players of all. Yeah, he's, like I say, one of my favorites. And uh, but they had two people who maybe a lot of people don't know. They had a man named Nick Semper on uh, bass and Rod Evans on vocals. I liked Rod Evans on vocals. So a lot of a lot of people say, oh, they got. I think a lot of people don't like Rod Evans on vocals because they always picture. Yeah, from the, them the, as a hard rock band from the classic era. Yeah, the, yeah, but he sang very well on their on their first three albums, and yes, they got rid of him mainly because they were going in a hard rock direction, and he was not that kind of singer. But he actually, if you listen to Hush or Kentucky Woman, he's a great he's a great singer, yeah. and he just kind of vanished after that. I think that he was in a band or two, and then he decided, you know, <clears throat> screw it. And so they had made three albums under that name, and then. They had made this contract to do like the concert concerto for the group and orchestra, which was mainly John Lord's thing, and Deep Purple would just kind of play on it type of thing. It yeah. wasn't really; it, it was just a, kind of like a sideline one night thing. I, I remember listening to it. I don't remember hearing uh, too many of any vocals. Uh -huh. There's a there's a really good story about that. And <laughs> <laughs> that, and this is this is one this is one of the devious things that happens in music and especially in rock and roll is that <laughs> so deep purple had already decided after they finished their uh, the tour for their third album that they were going to turn into more of a hard rock they were going to get heavy they were going to get heavy and but they had this thing coming up for the concerto for the group and orchestra okay we'll do that you know they want us to do it they're paying us or whatever so we'll do it um but you know what there's this singer and you know we can't use Rod Evans because he's just not a hard rock singer. He's, but there's this singer in this band called Episode Six, you know. And Richie Blackmore found out, and he went to go see Ian Gillen, and he said, "Yeah, this guy, this guy, this guy's a singer." But you know what? We got some gigs we still got to play. So uh, quiet. And then somebody we, said, "We we got to keep this uh, hush." Exactly. <laughs> hush, hush. And then 
somebody uh said oh there's this great there's this great drummer but it was Gene Gillen I think he said this great drummer a great bass player that I know called uh, Roger Glover and uh he'd be great on bass and it's like yeah you know you know we could try him out so they did these practices (laughs) with the new material that they had written while they still had another (laughs) this is really actually really roused me the wrong way because if you're in a band Uh it, it really it can really piss you off if you're on the other this end. This is of it. on the uh, cheating on your wife level. Yeah, this is <laughs> when you're in a band, you don't know how serious this is until you're in a band, and it's pre- it is an, this is like cheating on your wife. And you better thing. accept that the other guys in the band, if they're you're doing this to someone else, they could do it to you at any time. Enjoy. So, <laughs> so here, these guys as a five piece are playing these rehearsals to get ready for their studio sessions for the in rock album. And they're playing gigs to finish off their contractual obligation with the two other guys, the original guys. And those, a real dirty thing. Those guys, uh, of course, they weren't happy knowing about this, right? <laughs> they didn't know, of course. <laughs> you don't tell things like that to people because rock and roll people don't act like that. No, they'll walk out and then you're contractual obligated. Yeah, and then you're contractually obligated to finish the concerts when you're not ready yet. So, um, yeah, so they just kind of said, you know. Hey, right. where, where are you guys going this Saturday? But oh, nowhere. <laughs> somehow, as things usually do in rock bands, before the last gig, the guys, the two guys found out. Somehow. The, the scuttlebutt <laughs> just kind of got around the, the Deep Purple camp, you know, the roadies and stuff. And it was like, you're kidding. You mean this gig I'm playing tonight, I'm only playing it so they can fulfill obligations. Other than that, and I wouldn't even be talking you've to You've already guys. made the decision to fire us a little while ago. Wow. Okay. <laughs> like that hurts. That hurts even to say it right now because... You, that, you just don't, it's like sleeping with somebody's wife. That is not cool. <laughs> that is not cool. <laughs> I, I didn't even know this till I did my research this week. I thought that there was a parting of, for all these years, I thought that there was just a parting of the ways. Yeah, I thought the different musical directions, yeah. but. But no. So. It's kind of like there is some different musical directions and you won't be joining them. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was an ugly chapter. They finished, they finished the, the tour and then they quickly did the concerto for group and orchestra, which you said really didn't involve Ian Gillen all that much. And, and Roger Glover, it was mostly John Lord and, and the other guys kind of just playing back up with the, with the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. Thank you, Rob. You were right. Um, yeah, and uh, then they set to work right away to make In Rock. That was like their first statement in uh, late 69, early 70. And that's where this takes us. Uh, we're basically in the recording of this album. Now, the band was not very proficient at writing their own material. So all of them are credited on this album as writing every song. Which is nice, and it's good, because they did. Uh, mostly now, their ideas were coming out of the jam sessions they would do. Somebody would have a lick, and then... They'd expand on it. They would expand on it. Usually the guys who had the licks were John Lord or Richie Blackmore. And they say, you know what, I just heard this thing, and I think you could use it. And then that's how the... So obviously, that's why you would get five credits. Because if you're in there actually writing the songs together, you should get five. Everyone's adding pieces here Everyone. and there. Everyone, yeah. Yeah, so that's... That's uh, a nice thing, and uh, you know Richie Blackmore is acting really nice. It's kind of like the beginning of the thing, so he's not. I don't know how nobody really knows how Richie Blackmore is, but I've just heard that he's can be very difficult to work with. Uh, and other than that, he's a very mysterious person. But I I don't go much for that. I just go for man he plays. Yeah, like son of a what's bitch. The, what's the sounds? What's the sounds he's producing? Exactly. That is the bottom line. And he uses a a, a great um he plays a, a Gibson, oh, what does he play? It sounds so full and rich and totally opposite. This is where you know if you want to d- define how the bands sound. Black Sabbath of course had that dark minor chord uh Tonayomi type of Gibson SG sound. Yeah. And if you listen to this album, this is a very, uh, it's a very bright chords, uh, not too trebly, not ear trebly, where you go, oh, but very smooth trebly sound. And it comes from a very uh, 
from a warm guitar, which is uh, I can't find it now. I'm sorry, but it's a. But it is a Gibson. Or something. It's a it's the, the big Gibson, uh, like a cherry red Gibson, uh, okay. the big one. Like Eric, Are we talking, if you can uh, remember, Eric Clapton played it in Cream in the final farewell concert. Uh, the big Gibson. Okay. And uh, he played that just for this album, and then he switched to the uh, Stratocaster. Oh, okay. Yeah, like like Jimmy, like Jimmy would play, and that's what he was known for. Now for the rest of his career has been the Stratocaster, but for, for the beginning of, of, of Deep Purple until the end of In Rock, he, he played the big, you know, uh, Gibson, and uh, the sound from the guitar on this is just smooth. You know, I mean, he, going from rhythm, because he, this is another thing that I love about the Jimmy Pages and and the, the Richie Blackmores is as the only guy in the band playing guitar. So he's got to play rhythm and lead, rhythm and, lead and they do it. Those two guys do it so flawlessly, and a lot of the time it's not with a whole bunch of overdubs. You know, they just they just go into it. No, nope, like they're going for the live sound. Yeah, you, get the, you know, five guys making sound. You can't fill it up too much. They did. You know, back then you wanted to go for the live sound. Nowadays that would be unheard of. But back then, uh, an overdub will process. We'll fix it in the mix. <laughs> if I ever hear that again, <laughs> I have heard some of the worst stuff we've ever done, and somebody would just want somebody in the booth would want to move on and just say, "Let's go, we'll fix it in the mix." And then you realize you can't fix everything in the mix. <laughs> so then we go to the album. The album is this is a, to be honest with you, this is the first time I've heard this album, which is strange because I I. When I was not even a teenager yet, I was kind of a Deep Purple fan for a short, very short while until I kind of got out. I've never really been a, a hard rock, heavy metal fan. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I I, I got into it at that age, and I liked, I liked Deep Purple. They didn't send me over the moon, but I liked them. I, I, I loved I really thought of the, uh, the hit songs and the machine hit. Yeah. That's pretty much my Deep Purple education up till recently. Yeah, uh, you know, same. I knew all about. I you, I would see I knew, albums yeah. all the time when I went shopping. I would see them, and they, you know, all I the knew albums, of this album because oh, that's the one with Child and Time on it. Love oh, that song. but it was also the album that had the cool cover with the in rock and the nice yeah. blue on it. And it was one of those albums that we've talked about on the show where I always said I want to buy that album. Oh, I want to buy that album. It just looks like I should buy that album. It looks so great. And then I'd go, oh, but I'll buy this. I'll buy it next week because I'll buy this album and for sure. And then you end up never buying it yep. because <laughs> things happen, right? <laughs> oh, that'll always be around. I'll get to it. Yes, exactly. And then eventually years go by and then you 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 don't, you're not really following Deep Purple anymore and you move on to something else and you never did buy the album. Never even listened to it other than the, a couple of songs off it. So yeah, even though this is this is a classic in the heavy metal field, I had never heard it. To be honest with you, a man who has his whole show based on the seventies and he hasn't heard one of the classic albums. Uh, let me just before we get into a song by song little dissection of the album and give our review, I just want to say the accolades for this album. Before we go on, uh, Kerrang uh, magazine. Uh, which is a heavy metal magazine, called this the 15th greatest heavy metal album of all time. Guitarist, which has been around forever, magazine called this the 8th greatest guitar album of all time. I think almost every album that Richie Blackmore plays guitar on should be like one of the greatest guitarists of all time. I love the way he picks his notes. That's <laughs> <laughs> the best way I can say it. He's just a pleasure to listen to. <laughs> he is a pleasure. He really is. Uh Q Magazine called this, put it number 48 of the in the 50th best albums of the 70s. Kerrang! Again. Kerrang, you son of a bitch. Kerrang! Uh, placed it 56th in the 100 best British rock albums ever. Classic Rock Magazine placed it 13th as in their list of 100 greatest British rock albums ever. And it is in the book of the 1001 albums you must hear before you die. Uh, so now to go to the album review, uh, it starts off, uh, with Speed King and, uh, really good song, really, um, 
great. Yeah, intro. you know what? I got some great intro. as I'm as I'm as I'm trying to do this, I'm listening to the voices in my head going <laughs> like, "Don't say the things that you're supposed to say. Say kind of what what you feel, which is what our show is." There's when I say I was I was kind of like a I was really more of an early Deep Purple fan. I and I was not I like heavy metal, I do, and I really like hard rock, but I don't like it as much as uh, the other forms of rock music, to be honest with you. And and I really like the, the the first three albums by Deep Purple. And I came to a revelation this week, which I had never thought of in the 40 years since I've discovered Deep Purple that I personally, other than Richie Blackmore, thought that they were just okay <laughs> as a band, you know? And this album, like I, I bought Machine Head and everybody was calling it a classic, a classic. The critics called it a classic. And I always thought it was a pretty good album, but I, I didn't understand the classic. I thought it was... That's what I did like from start to finish. Oh, did you? Yeah. There wasn't a bad song on it, but nothing blew me away, you know? And then, you know, I, I had heard a couple of things, you know, like I heard, oh, I bought the Come Taste the Band album, which didn't have Richie Blackmore, but the great Tommy Bolin on it, the last Deep Purple album before they broke up in 1976. And I actually liked that album, but again, I didn't love it. And I came to this realization this week that I just, I never really loved this band. I just thought I had because I was on this kick for a couple of years of Deep Purple. And it just didn't affect me the way other bands did. Um, just like heavy metal doesn't affect me like some other forms yeah. of music. Yeah, I mean, I know it, it appealed a lot more to me when I was younger and uh, you wanted to play music to uh, drive your parents away. Yeah. And this was great music for that. Uh, and I have to admit, I'm going to say this right now. You got... You got one of the best singers ever in, in for a hard rock band in Ian Gillen. You've got, of course, one of the greatest guitar players ever, Richie Blackmore. You've got one of the most underrated, but still greatest drummers that you can have in a rock band with Ian Pace. You've got definitely one of the most amazing keyboard players of all time in John Lord. Yeah. And you've got Roger Glover, who never gets his accord for being such a stable and great bassist. He doesn't do runs, but I always knew, and in rock you can't hear him, but I always knew the bass, the the, the, the bottom end was there. I always knew it was there because I could yeah, feel Yeah, and to find out he was, a, you know, more of a contributing writer as well, that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he's a great producer too. He's produced many great bands. Uh, but it came to me this week that for me personally, and I know so many, and I mean, Deep Purple's still around. Deep, Deep without Richie, I never, I'm sorry. I'm one of those people that if Richie Blackmore is not in a band, I'm not going to listen. I'm sorry. But, you know, and, Deep, and no, Richie Blackmore has not been in the band since like 96 or something like that. And I saw them on TV at the SARS concert. Remember the Rolling Stones SARS concert where they did the for in Toronto? Oh, they, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they were one of the opening acts, and they did, they did 20 minutes at the SARS concert in Toronto, and it blew me away. They were so tight, they were so, they were so together, they were so mature. You know what I mean? Like they were so mature. They were great, fantastic. They played 20 minutes. They went off like it was nothing, and I was totally stunned. When you hear this early stuff, it's full of energy and spark, but it's lacking a little bit of maturity. Yeah. One of the things I'll say about Deep Purple, and I don't want to get a whole bunch of Deep Purple fans mad, is I actually think in my perspective, Deep Purple is lesser than the sum of its parts. Get the rope. <laughs> get the rope, son. I really think that they're lesser than the sum of their parts. And it's one of the only bands that I can say that but yeah, the two things that really got me on uh, this album was uh, Richie Blackmore and Sean Lord. Those two guys uh, together, uh, they just have a, a chemistry. They're both mm -hmm. really good, fast players who come up with really good uh, part. They play well off each other. And whenever they were doing something together during the solos, that always grabbed me. Um, 
Uh, yeah, the only thing that uh, it's not a criticism, it's a, it's a preference, but Ian Gillen's voice when he was singing was great, but uh, you know when he's going to the he does. You do that a bit often. And, uh, I was going. I I'm thinking like maybe that's a, Rob, a a product of age. That uh, um, that's so funny. <laughs> I'd give this a totally different review. I can't understand how sometimes me and Rob think exactly <laughs> the same without conferring notes, but we don't confer notes. I thought the exact same. I thought the exact same thing in almost the exact same words that he said. I'm listening to it and I'm going, boy, when I was a kid, I thought Ian Gillen was such kick ass, but that kind of stuff aggravates the fuck out of me. <laughs> is it my age or did I, or is it just the experience that I've had of listening to other music and finding that just not acceptable to my ears? The music hasn't changed. It's, and the music hasn't changed. And yes, it, it, the kind of like I've sung a line and I'm going, ah, doesn't, it, it kind of bugs me because he sings really well. And, you know, you brought up a good point in that every time John Lord or Richie Blackmore played, or anybody plays, um, Ian Pace does a, a really quick drum solo at, at the, I can't remember what song it is. I think it's Into the Fire. I can't remember. And he does a really quick drum, and it's just amazing. And, you know, you got John Lord just playing amazing. You got Richie Blackmore just playing amazing. You got Ian Gillen just singing great, sometimes over singing, but still singing great. And Roger Glover, you can hear with the with the with the yep. bottom end bass, but it's for some solid, reason it doesn't it out. doesn't sometimes gel. And I'm not really knocking it. I'm just saying that because I'm still going to give it a very good review. Yeah. I like the album, but what I'm saying is that I don't understand why this. Just like I for 40 years, I've never understood why Machine Head got five stars and was called a masterpiece. I like the album a lot, but I don't think it's a masterpiece. I don't know why this album is as lauded as much as it is, and because I read I read that for a reason. Yeah. All those all those all those accolades that he I got. read those after I uh, decided uh, how I felt. And I was right. Like, uh, and I oh. read that for a reason to say that I got surprised. I I'm surprised. Yeah, I'm surprised. Uh, that was gonna that was gonna be my punchline. Was like I'm actually surprised why it, it because in my opinion this band is heavily derivative in that you can you got led zeppelin not led zeppelin is a good example of a band that did oh it was going all over the place every album every album yeah let alone let alone single albums where you where you say oh houses of the holy is so different from led zeppelin 4 so different from led zeppelin 3 but you listen to led zeppelin 3 there's a whole bunch of things going on just in that one album alone this band is basically the same from Deep Purple in Rock until Richie Blackmore left, and yes. or they broke up. There's and a whole lot less me, deviation in sound. Yes, not a lot of deviation. A lot of yeah. that, 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 that would become the staple of heavy metal, but that's the kind of heavy metal I don't like. <laughs> it's the <laughs> one that goes Speed King. I'm Speed King. It doesn't do much for me, but it does get my juices going, so I'm not totally knocking it. Yeah, and I tell you, if it weren't for the uh, a lot of the instrumental work, uh, these songs would not have the appeal to me that they do. Right, I agree with that. It, in fact, if they were lesser players, which we'll get to next episode, <laughs> with a band that plays similar music, you can you could you could see how it could all fall apart. And <laughs> and that's why I like this album a lot, but I also do not like it as much as some other people like it mainly critics and fans of, of heavy metal i and i think that there's a big mistake because i th i know that me and rob are going to agree that child in time is a magnificent yeah. piece of work uh i was even tainted by that because <laughs> i heard the song by i forget now oh it's a beautiful day uh bombay bombay call it i think um they stole that. <laughs> they stole that from It's a Beautiful Day because I listened to it right after I had finished listening to In Rock all the way, like all my listens. And I said, okay, let me listen to this song that they say here was based that it John Lord brought. He brought he brought kind of like the, the chords and everything from Child in Time. Yeah, they do actually put their own spin on it, but it's like the same key <laughs> and shit. And, uh, but I'm not going to take it away. I'm not... 
I'll tell you a funny story about that also, even though we're we're running long again, but it's a beautiful day. Knew that perfectly well. This is a thing that went on in the late '60s, early '70s. They took a Deep Purple song called "Ring That Neck," and what they did was they, instead of kind of changing it up, like and adding lyrics, like Deep Purple did with "Child in Time," they did it. They said, "Listen, if you're going to steal our song, <laughs> we're going to steal your song, but make it almost sound exactly like you, and we'll take the songwriting credits." And what could Deep Purple do? It's kind of like an in joke, like, "Hey, you stole our song. We're going to steal your song. And we're going to take the songwriting credits, but we're going to make it sound like your song." <laughs> but "Child in Time" is is the centerpiece of this album. There's no doubt about it. When I first heard this on the radio. It just shook me to the core. I'd never heard anything like it. It was like, this is the type. Of, this is the type of stuff that Rob knows I love. This whole dynamic thing of making a song soft and then building, building it, it up, up to a whole huge crescendo Take, yeah. and then bringing it back down to the start, which I just drool for. I think it's the main reason that I became a musician because I love. I love when it does stuff like that. When so it much. takes you on a journey. I, yes. I always complain about the, the formulated verse, chorus, verse, chorus, solo, chorus. Sounds like to me like a commercial. Over. And this one this one breaks all boundaries. This one says, you know what? We're going to do what we're going to do. You don't like when Ian Gillen starts yelling? Too bad. It, it's, not, yeah. it's not meant for him. It's meant for a specific purpose. It's not just for him to yell. He's screaming because it's about the freaking Vietnam War, man, and people are dying. And this is what they sound like when they die. Yeah, it was okay? part of the buildup. Uh, and part of the buildup. It part wasn't of the just tension. an accent or uh, just I got to really, put something here. It's... I got one big problem, though, with that is that what I did was I, I heard this album like three or four times in the, in the, just played it right through. And I said, there's something wrong. There's something wrong that, that bugs me. And then I thought about it. I think, you know what bugs me? Is Child in Time being at the end of side one. Because it just, it just makes everything else sound so little. So what I did was I listened to the album without Child in Time. Okay. And I liked it a heck of a lot more. In fact, it boosted my rating up a whole star. <laughs> Because I realized how good the other songs were. The mistake that they made, I think, on it, and it's not much of a mistake because everybody loves it. So maybe it's a, a, just a personal grief on mine. But if they would have put this song at the end of side two, to yeah, the album, close the album, boy. and put Heart Love and Man at the end of side one, I think this would have totally changed my opinion of this album. Not that, not that, not that I don't like the album, but I know. But yeah, yeah. It, it can change your perceptions by the. the, the I mean, it's the same music, but uh, in making it an album, the order you put it in does matter. It does matter, yeah. and I it did bug me. There was something about this album that bugged me. I couldn't pinpoint it because I said great playing. I don't know, but there's something wrong. It's just a child in time is so above board that to put it in the middle of the album. It almost dwarfs side two. You almost even care about yeah. side two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that is, uh, that's one of the problems I had with this album. Other than that, this album rocks. Ch and also, Child in Time is completely different from the rest of the album. The rest of the album is pretty much straight ahead, balls to the wall, rock and roll from the first song and to the Speed last. Speed King is just an explosion, and, uh, and then all the rest of the songs explode. Right, which is <laughs> a strange, which is another strange reason why do you put Child in Time in the middle when you kind of break that, you kind of break that mood that they're setting, and then you get into a different mood, and then you go back into and that. You mood. go back into it. Yeah, I, I think that to me that was a big mistake. Obviously, hasn't harmed the record. But I actually do believe if they would have done that, it would have even been a bigger record for them, at least critically. Because, man, can you imagine Child in Time closing this record? <laughs> yeah, that makes you want to listen to the whole thing. Yeah, and it would make you appreciate, I think, the songs that came before it. Yeah. Because I think I was kind of ambivalent towards the other songs until I heard them without Child in Time in, in, this, in the record sequence. Anyways, um, I give it four stars. I really still like the album. There, you know, I I went through a lot of stuff with this record. I went through going through forty years of maybe misinterpreting my feelings of Deep Purple. It brought up a lot of things for me. 
but it's still a very strong record. I don't think it's a classic, but then I never thought Machine Head was a classic either. Yeah. So, you know, I don't mean to piss any fans off, but uh, I give it I give it four stars, and I couldn't I could not give it anymore. There's no way. I gave it three and a half when I first listened to it. I was thinking, you know, uh, I like Speed King, I like Child in Time, I like Flight of the Rat, but uh, you know, the rest of the songs are a little bit less than those three. <laughs> but then, yeah, I did have to listen to it individually, song by song, and that uh, kind of bumped it up to a, a four star for me. I love the playing, uh, but uh, yeah, and also lyrically, I, I have to mention, uh, you know, uh, there's words there, but uh, yeah, a lot of songs, not a lot of sub, more like what you'd find with blues songs and that. Yeah, this is other than Child in Time. There's not a lot of depth. Living wreck, the... hard loving man. That's, you know, uh, the bluesy territory. They're not giving me uh, too many insights. Uh. No, there's not an insightful lyrical album, except for Child in Time. Yeah. And, uh, which is, of course, about the Vietnam War and, and very, uh, a very emotional song all, all around. But you are completely right. Another thing I thought of but didn't mention, you know, the kind of the vapidness of the lyrics that I don't if know, I don't know if they more... really got any better. To be honest with you, but they did get slightly better. Machine Head had really good lyrics, but not great lyrics. They were never known for being a great lyric. No, no, <laughs> you, you didn't go to CD Purple for those no. lyrics. Yeah. I hope, I hope they played that "Smoke on the Water" for all those Frank Zappa references. No, people <laughs> wanted to hear the riff. And uh, I just want to put in real yeah. quickly. I'm glad I got your four stars. And we both gave it four stars. Hard loving man, really bad. I think it may be the worst. Uh, Deep Purple song that I have heard on one of their... I'm surprisingly... It's not only surprisingly misogynistic, which they're actually not known for. And if you listen to this album, they're not known for... Being a bunch of jerks. Being a bunch of jerks. Uh, their their lyrics aren't extremely thoughtful, but they're not about like, oh, look look at me. I, I got a big schlong. But this kind of song was, and I was disappointed in that. Plus, it just sounds like a jam that just kind of went nowhere. And uh, it's just, I'm surprised that a song of that kind of ineptitude kind of ended up on a record like this. Other than that, you know, uh, it's a good, if you love heavy metal or hard rock, you're going to really like this album. And yeah, uh, playing, Child in Time will stand, will stand as um, not only a centerpiece of hard rock, but I think a, a 1970s centerpiece because it's so different. I will never get over the first time. Or the first times. Every time I heard the song on the radio, to be honest with you, it always was like, this is not a song you play on the radio. It's like long. Yeah. And it's like it's like too dramatic for radio. Yeah. It's a, <laughs> it's a stop what you're doing and listen song. It is. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. It's, it makes you stop on your tracks. Because all radio is mainly made to do your errands around, right? Yeah. And not yeah. think about too much, but also enjoy what's going on. Child in Time makes you take the car and just... Take it over to the side of the road for ten minutes because you're kind of being you blown away. You have to listen to you this. You have to listen to it. So you almost get four stars just for having Charlie. Yeah. Hey, wait a second. <laughs> uh, I just had I. I've never done this before, and I've never even thought about it much before. But seriously, I would have moved an actual classic album song from the first end of the first. I know that it would have been. It would have changed this album dramatically uh and the way it may have even gave them some critical not critical but um some more fans i don't know what it would have done but i know in my heart that that was the right that that would have been the right thing to do because i've listened and you have too we've listened to enough records over our years especially being musicians when you have to spend hours trying to sequence a record that I just knew that that was wrong. <laughs> I just knew that it, it sounded like a good idea to not end it maybe at the time because, oh, then there'll be more stuff after it. But, oh, if this album could have ended Child in Time, it not only would have magnified Child in Time even more, if that's possible, but it would have shown a light on the other songs instead of making them seem in the shadow of Child in Time. But we like the album anyways. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next week, we have a show you can't miss. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to tell you the band we have on, but I love them so much. 
I drool about them constantly. And um, <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this one. More of a slathering there. <laughs> a foaming, uh, if you will. <laughs> yeah, it will be part two of our look at heavy metal hard rock music. And it will, I promise you, it will be fun. <laughs> Good times, we promise. <laughs> so until then, uh Everybody, uh, take care and uh, good luck. And I don't have my script. I, if so, I don't have my script, so I don't Good frickin' bye. <laughs> Until next year. So good luck, everybody, <laughs> and take care.